0: Now we return to the Book of the Revelation, chapter two, and of verse eight. We come now to the second of the letters to the seven churches in the Roman province of Asia. And although they were written to churches that have gone out of existence, they were Still comes to us. For each message concludes with these words, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the text. So then let you at this second of the letters of our Lord. It was written to the church in Smyrna. Now Smyrna or is here, as it is called today in modern Turkey, lies on the sea coast a few miles north of Ephesus, and unlike Ephesus could boast of a very fine harbor. It was a city that was beautiful for situations situation, and a very salubrious place to dwell in. It was called the Crown of Asia, an old city, its foundations were laid a thousand years before Christ. And then some 400 years later, the city was destroyed. It went dead. And they like that for the best part of 400 years, and in 200 BC, It was rebuilt, a planned city, everything correct and as it should be. And these points are of interest when we come to the church in Smyrna. Besides, the city was noted for its loyalty. It was a loyal ally of the Roman Empire. On one occasion, when Rome was failing very badly in its wars with Mifredates to the east, Smyrna even sent their own clothes to clad the Roman soldiers. And the loyalty of the city is reflected in the loyalty of this lovely church in Asia. For perhaps of them all, Smyrna is in a sense the loveliest. The word Smyrna itself is a Another word for myrrh. And you know that myrrh is a sweet smelling substance. But the fragrance of myrrh can only come out of its bruising. And this was a suffering church. A suffering church and a church of poverty. And out of its deep poverty and out of its suffering, the bruising it received, the fragrance went up into the nostrils of Christ and when we look at this letter we find that the Lord has nothing to say against this church. what he says is by way of commendation let's look then at the letter first of all noticing the descriptive introduction because these letters go according to a certain perfect pattern There's a descriptive introduction of the risen Christ. He authenticates himself, so to speak, to the church. And then there is an analysis of the church's state, together with a message to that church. And finally, there is an encouraging promise. Perhaps a warning, but an encouraging promise. In this descriptive introduction of himself, our Lord says, These things said the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. And a description taken from the opening chapter, as we have seen, that gives an elaborate and detailed description of the written law. And here he introduced himself to the church of Smyrna as the first and the last he who became dead and lived again to translate the word more literally and more perfectly he who became dead and lived again and that description is not taken at random it's fitted to the state of the church in Smyrna the first described the sovereignty of the lord of the church i am He, the first and the last the alpha and the omega you know these are the two the first letter of the rule of the greek alphabet alpha and omega the last letter and so our lord claims to be both the origin and the end christ is the beginning and the end is christ But more than that, in so claiming to be the first and the last, he arrogates to himself without any presumption the attributes of true Godness. For it is God who claims to be the first and the last, and here we see the Lord Jesus in his divine glory and power and sovereignty. Can you imagine what that meant to Smyrna? Struggling against, fearful of, oppressed and persecuted, with its life, threatened with extinction, being snuffed out, perhaps fearful that it would come to an end with the fierceness of the persecution. And Jesus says, fear not, remember I am the first and the last, it's not the enemy that has got the last word, I have the last word and it ought to be an encouragement to us today as we live in what is called the post-Christian age when humanism is in control agnostic, atheistic, materialistic, immoral humanism fear not, this is the first and the last and then he describes himself as he who became dead and lived again. He who became dead and lived. Now I want you to notice the order. He doesn't say he who lived and died. This is not a voice from the tomb or out of Hades is not the voice of a medium that beats and that mutters. it is the voice of the mediator and it comes to us from the excellent glory the risen lord not the natural order life and death but death and life he who died and who came alive lived again and who lives after the power of an endless life over whom death can never again have any power or on whom death can have any claim. Is that not intelligent, to Smyrna? Oh yes, Smyrna is faced with death as we shall see. Be thou faithful unto death, Jesus says, and it was no empty exhortation, because Smyrna was faced with death. Fear not Smyrna. I am he who became dead, and I am alive. I live and I live forevermore. And as I live, you will live also. There then is the introduction. Let's look at the message and the analysis, our Lord gives, of the church. I know thy work and tribulation and poverty but thou art rich. Some of the best manuscripts omit the word work and make the passage read like this I know thy tribulation and poverty but thou art rich. It may well be that that is a true reading of this verse and it would be the true reading, then the church in Smyrna could not be credited with much in the nature of work. It couldn't boast of great work or of mighty deeds or of extended service. You see, it was struggling for its own existence. The Covenanters of Scotland could not boast of any great work or of mighty deeds or a great service. They couldn't engage in missionary enterprise. Neither could the Church of the Reformation in Europe. Why? Not because they were blind to it, but they were fighting for mere existence. So was Smyrna. But Jesus said, I know thy tribulation and thy poverty. But Smyrna was a church that was poor and a church that was troubled. And when our Lord says, I know, remember what we saw last day, he knows because he has got inside knowledge. Knowledge that is not due to information. He knows not because he has been informed, He knows because he sees right through and through into the inmost heart, judging the motive and the spirit, which no human being can judge. Man judges after the outward appearance. God judges after the heart. But my friend, when he says to Smyrna, I know thy poverty and thy tribulation. He is speaking out of experimental knowledge, from his own experience. I know thy poverty, Smyrna, because I was poor, though with, and the words in brackets here could be applied even more clearly to our Lord, but he was with. Yet, for our sake, he became poor and you became so poor as our Lord Jesus Christ. When William Chalmers' burdens effects were brought home after his death in China, after an apostolic ministry there, they consisted of a chest containing the house, the plug of the houseboat in which he lived, and one of the rivers of China, and a few books in a Bible. And the little nephew who was present when the trunk was opened said Uncle Willie must have been very poor. So he was. That's all he had to leave. What will be considered junk and go as a job lot for a shilling at an auctioneer's moth. Ah, but our Lord Jesus was poor, he had not where to lay his head. When he wanted a monk to ride in triumph as science king into Jerusalem, he had to borrow the coat, the fold of an earth. And when he required a room in which to keep the Passover with his disciples, he had to borrow the upper room from his friend, this disciple in Jerusalem. And when he required a grave in which to be laid to fulfil the scripture, he had to borrow that grave. Some Joseph out of the thief. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though it yet for our sake he became poor, poor even to the dust of death. He was hung upon a cross. That was the measure of his poverty and deeper still, Oh my friends, we cannot tell but he can tell. And when he says, I know thy poverty, Smyrna, what sympathy there was there for that poor And how poor Smyrna was on these days themselves and their Lord you. They no doubt were poor in the world they seen. The church in Smyrna was despised. And all the of the church have known what to be despised is. They say you can't be a gentleman or a lady and belong to the Free Church of Scotland. After all they only the we free. And Smyrna was tall in their own eyes. No doubt the church in there, the seer that was rich and increasing in goods and at need of nothing, look down the road to the Smyrna and shook their heads and say, Oh, poor Smyrna. Poor Smyrna. I wonder how long that church is going to last. Well, do you know Smyrna was, a church, was the church, it was the church, the only church in Asia that lasted any length of time. It was where the candlestick burned brightly longer than anywhere else. Until fairly recent times there was a Christian church, at least a Christian church is near, there may be today for all I know. And perhaps they were poor in talent. Not many mighty, not many noble, not many gifted, perhaps were found in Smyrna. And they may have been poor in number. A little struggling Christian community. And in the eyes of the world, nothing succeeds like success and nothing fails like failure. Only the genuine grace of God could keep Smyrna in peace. And then there was her tribulation. I know thy tribulation and thy poverty and that tribulation Came from a quarter that should have been an encouragement to them. The instigators of the trouble were the Jews. Those Jews that were quite numerous and influential in Smyrna and who were held in high esteem by the most serious minded of the Gentile inhabitants. Many of whom, if they did not become proselytes, yet followed. Far off the Jewish religion and Tustee the Jewish ethics. But those Jews in Smyrna hated the Christians, never missed an opportunity of stirring up the Gentile rulers against them. And when that great master of Smyrna suffered death, oh, fifty years and more after this letter was written, Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, who was the friend of John himself who wrote this book. When Polycarp suffered death, the Jews were foremost in governing the Sagoths, used to burn him at the stake. I know the slander of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan, all oh my friends. How dreadful can be the fall of a church. Jews who belong to the church of God and Jesus disowns them, he disinherits them, he says there are no church, there are no attendee of mine, they're a synagogue, but not a synagogue of God, they're a synagogue of Satan. What was true of the Jewish church could become true of the Christian church and did become true of the Christian Church, the Church that hounded the Protestant martyrs to the stake, the Church of the Inquisition, the Church of the auto da Fe, the fire burnings for the faith in Spain. Surely was no Christian Church, no Church of our God, but a synagogue of Satan. The Church that denies the faith, the Church that is riddled with modernism. The church that blasphemes the name of Jesus as that man in Aberdeen, Dr. Jones, or whatever his name is, did, is no longer a church, it is a synagogue of Satan. I'm not referring to the church of Scotland as a whole, I'm not referring to the church of Rome as a whole, I'm just referring to a church that denies the faith and a church that is opposed eh, to the truth, that slanders and persecutes. The people of God. And so our Lord says to Smyrna, I know. Your tribulation, and I know your poverty. And in the bracket. that thou art evil. Never did bracket contain so wonderful a statement. Our finances, on the side of your life, It's what an encouraging account. Poor but rich. Rich in Christian courage. Tribulation, of patience, and patience experience. Rich in Christian graces, in love, and in loyalty. Rich in faith and in courage, rich too in the inheritance that lay before us the crown of luck, the inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for those who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. You see, Smyrna was poor in the thing that Laodicea was rich in, but Smyrna was rich in the thing that Laodicea was poor in. Thou sayest thou art rich an increase in increasing goods, in the need of nothing, said Jesus to Laodicea, and knowest not that thou art poor, and miserable, and blind, and naked. This Smyrna he says, I know thy poverty, but thou art rich. And great is the wealth of the inheritance of the believer. For the Lord is a portion of his cup and his heritage for ever. I wonder if we realize that. You know, I don't think that we take out the title deeds of our inheritance and you got them often enough. Well of course so many title deeds are tied up with red-tape and stuck in a strong box in some solicitor's office. Take out your title deeds, my Christian friend. Don't be discouraged for your own poverty. Remember John Bunyan, in Grace Abounding, how he bemoaned his spiritual state one day and felt so wretched and so miserable and so poor he felt like one who had only got in his pockets a few cut goats and one or two broken sixpences. Poor, miserable chicken seed of coins. And then suddenly he says, I remembered that my gold was safe in my trunk at home. And your gold is safe in your trunk at home. Your gold is in heaven, in Christ. Jesus says you are poor. In your own eyes, in the eyes of your fellow churches, and still more poor in the eyes of the world, but thou art rich. Thou art rich. At the end of the day, when other riches turn to ashes and their gold fades away into dead autumn leaves, your gold will remain pure and valuable, there will be no devaluation of the currency of grace. And then let's look at the encouragement our Lord gives. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Now that in a, a, the biblical language is a short time. Not a long time, but a brief, sharp period of pursuit. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. In Smyrna proved the truth of our Lord's word. Well. Not once, well, but no doubt many times when sporadic persecution broke out against the Christians because they were Christians. You know, the early Christian church was persecuted simply because they professed the name of Christ. All the a man had to do to qualify for capital punishment was to say, I'm a Christian. No matter how exemplary his life was, if he were a Christian, it was a capital offense. Sometimes the Roman governor winked at it. Sometimes he was a very humane man and he did not like to put good men to death. But sometimes his arm was twisted, twisted by those Jews and the informer and he had to take action as when he did. The severity of the Roman punishment fell. The noted example is one we referred to already Polycarp, the friend of John, the Bishop of Smyrna, who was burned to death in 155 AD. And the populace, mud for blood, demanded the death of Polycarp, who was now 90 years old. And this man who bore the white flower of a blameless life, was brought before the judge. And even the governor wanted to save his life. And those who wanted to carry out the Roman justice urged him just to deny Christ. Won't you say that Caesar is God? Just say it. Just verbally deny the Jesus and you be spared. Blaspheme, they said, blaspheme the Christ. And Polycarp's answer was, fourscore and six years have I served him, and he has never done me any harm. How then can I last see the king who saved me? my king who saved me. And Polycarp was put to death. Fear none of these things. These days are past, as far as our country is concerned, or are they? They are not past, so far as other churches behind the iron question are concerned. And we have no guarantee, my friends, that they are passed so far as this land is concerned. The persecution of the church is the normal condition of the church. Freedom from persecution is almost abnormal for the church of Christ. Let's thank God for the love. Let's thank God for our freedom, but let's not presume upon it. We know not when the church that is rapidly becoming a minority and rapidly losing prestige may have to face the fire of persecution again. Now finally, the promise. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. That word death is a key word of this letter. It casts a kind of pause over the whole letter. But Jesus says, don't be afraid of death. They are not them that kill the body, and after that there is nothing that they can do. Why, that death is but a door into glory. When they stoned Stephen, you remember, they looked on his face, and his face was not tortured with agony. His face was like the face of an angel. And he said, Looking up, I see heaven open, and the Son of God standing at the right hand of God. Jesus standing there to receive him. The same it was with Polycarp. They wanted to bind him with a chain to the stake and he said, You don't need to bind me. Bring your paddlers. Take the light to them. It was a case like the covenanting martyrs. Farewell, sun, moon and star. Farewell, friends. Welcome, glory. And you remember how the Marquis of a guile. how was that mighty house fallen? The Marquis of a guile spent his last night on earth sleeping as sweetly and as peacefully as a child because his heart was fixed. That sudden death or sudden glory. Ah, but, said Jesus, there's another death. There's the second death. Now what is the second death? But what is called later on in this book the lake of fire? What is it but hell itself? What is it but the torment and the destruction of the damned? Oh, my friends, we ought not to be saying these things without tears in our eyes and the tremor in our voice. We are so callous. We are so hardened. We cannot feel it because we are so much children of our own age, of this agnostic, atheistic age that scarcely believes in a heaven and does not believe at all in a hell. As Jesus says, fear not them that kill the body, and after that there is nothing they can do, but I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him who is able to cast soul and body into hell. Now that word hell sometimes means simply the state of the dead. Hades in our Bible. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, the psalmist says. He didn't mean Gehenna, because it never went there. But he meant Hades, or the sick of the dead. Sheol, if you like. And sometimes that word means the hell of fire. And oh, my friends, there is the hell of fire. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Where you have a living death and a, a dying life. And Jesus says, him that overcometh, he that overcometh shall not be hurt on the second death. He who overcomes, as believers always have overcome by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of our Testament. So it was in Smyrna, so may it be with us, when we shall overcome the forces against us, the world, the flesh and the devil, and the devil especially, as the roaring lion going about seeking whom we may devour. overcome him, us in the face, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of our Testament. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says out of the church. Let us pray. Grant us, O God, the hearing ear and the responsive will that we may not be discouraged by any of the forces against us but know that Thou wilt give grace to us to overcome all obstacles, every temptation, and to be steadfast in the faith. We pray for those who may be exposed, not merely to petty persecution and pin opposition, but who may be exposed to real persecution, to the spoiling of their goods, to the impoverishing of their estate, and above all, to the death of the body. We pray for our fellow Christians in lands where thy church is not only despised but condemned. And we pray for grace that they may be faithful, and faithful unto death. And help us, O Lord, to be loyal to our Lord and Saviour, not ashamed to own our God or to defend his cause, to maintain the glory of his cross and to honour all his laws. Bless thy word to us. Remember us each one according to our respective needs. Go thou with us on what is left of this day. May the outgoings of the evening rejoice with those of the morning. And lift upon us the light of thy reconciled countenance in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. <laughs>